there was a knock at Johnny's bedroom door. He pulled his covers over his head. Go away! Johnny's mum tiptoed up. Johnny, it's time to get up. It's time to go to church. Go away, mum. I don't want to get up. Mum tiptoed up to his bed and slowly rubbed his back. It's time to get up, Johnny. Mum, why do I have to go to church? I'm tired of church. I don't want to go. Johnny, you have to go to church for two reasons. First reason, it's the day that we honour the Lord. We set it apart for him, so we go to church. And secondly, you're the pastor. (laughs) People have some opinions on church, and not all of them are good. Mahatma Gandhi, he said this. It's going to come up on the screen. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. So is church today doing okay? Are we doing all right? And what does it mean to be the church? So when we want to look up a subject in the Bible, the best place to go is the first place it's mentioned. And did Jesus even mention the church? So this morning, we're going to open our Bibles, if you have them, to Matthew chapter 6, verse 13 to 19. And as you turn there, I'm just going to pray. Father God, we're hungry for your presence this morning. Hungry to hear from you this morning. So God, we open our hearts to you. Lord, we pray that your heaven would come this morning, that your kingdom would come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That your will will be done for your church in Kaitaia and in New Zealand. Amen. So Matthew 16, verse 13 to 19. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So Jesus has brought his disciples to the far north. The far north of Israel. This is Caesarea Philippi. And in this place, it was a place of pagan worship. Many different gods, but the main god they worshipped here was the goat god Pan. There was a cave set at the bottom of the hill. And they believed that this was the underworld. This was the place that the gods lived. It was a spooky place. The goat god Pan was in control of the forest and the fertility. He was a god to be feared because he was responsible for those freaky noises that you heard in the forest. The word panic comes from the goat god Pan. The word pandemonium comes from that word Pan, demon, and then the ending Eam. He was a god to be feared. The people thought that they could summon him back by performing acts of worship because in the wintertime the land wouldn't be fertile so they thought it was it was their responsibility to summon him back to bring the green grass and the fruitfulness of the land 
And what they did in this place was disgusting. They had temple prostitutes. They did um, disgusting acts with goats, unfortunately. And this was a place where no Jew would be seen. It was not a place that honored God the Father. So this was the underworld, and they called it the gates of Hades. So Jesus' disciples would have understood what he was saying. The language Jesus was using, the gates of Hades, would not overcome the church. Surrounded by other gods, Jesus asks the question, who do you say that I am? And his disciples throw around these ideas that they've heard some say, but what about you personally? Who do you say that I am? And bold Peter, he pipes up and he says, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. Jesus blesses Peter and announces that only God the Father has revealed this to you. And it takes us back to when Jesus first meets Peter, when he's calling his disciples. And his name was Simon back then, which means a reed, easily blown about by the wind. And Jesus changes his name on this day because he sees the potential in Peter. And Peter means rock, someone with a strong foundation. And then we see the first mention of the church, the word ecclesia in the Greek, and it means an assembly of called out ones. So the disciples have no concept of church. They've never heard it before up until now. They didn't know that it was a place you came on Sunday, a couple of fast songs, a couple of slow songs, notices preaching, a um, bit of a cake, and then come back next Sunday, and that's all. They didn't know that that's what church was all about. So they've got a clean slate, and Jesus is going to start building on that clean slate. He's, Jesus is using a play on words. He's not going to build his church on Peter the rock. Because Peter's name in the Greek is Petros. It's a little stone. He wants to build his church on Petra, a huge mass of rock. And we know from Scripture, like Psalm 18 too, the Lord is my rock. So he's going to build his church on this confession that Jesus is the Messiah. That's where church starts. We become part of the church when we confess Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus is going to build his church on that. Jesus says, I will build my church. It's not Pastor Paul's church. It's not Pastor Tark's church. Jesus is going to build his church, and he loves his church. It was his idea. He's proud of his church, and he's going to use his church. I gave my life to Jesus when I was three years old. The local Christians used to pick the kids up for Sunday school. Mum and dad weren't believers. I was too young for Sunday school at age three, but the kids would come back. I'm the youngest of four. And they would start to tell my parents about what they were learning. My parents became a Christian through Sunday school. But on that day when I was three years old, I'd never heard the name of Jesus. And my sister came in. She's five years old. Hey, Em, do you love Jesus? And I said to her, I don't know who Jesus is. Why would I love someone I don't even know? And she said to me, well, I love Jesus. And she walked away. And as a three-year-old, I thought to myself, wow. I am never, ever going to say I do not love Jesus ever again. And it was her confession of faith in the Messiah that brought me to faith. There have been times in my life when I have been like a Simon, someone blown around by every wind of doctrine, 
And I can just think back to those times, and those times happened when my eyes were not on the Word of God. My eyes were not on Jesus, the rock. Today we live in a culture of some sayers. Some say this religion, some say that religion, some say just be a good person and everything will turn out good, some say good karma, some say reincarnation. And we live in a world where people believe what they want to believe, follow your own truth, each to their own. It's the smorgasbord mentality, take something good from this religion, something good from that philosophy, and mold it all together to follow your own truth. The Bible warns us not to be deceived. The only problem with being deceived is that you don't know you're deceived at the time. So how do we not be deceived? We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. When I was in my third year of Bible college, I decided to study the world religions. I, th- I knew Jesus could stand up to these guys, and I was interested to see what they believed, because I want to evangelize to these guys. I want to know my stuff. So I studied Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, got the Quran out of the Bible, I got the Quran out of the library for some extracurricular reading, which was interesting. And it was all good until I started studying the Hare Krishna faith. That's where I got a bit tripped up because they really strongly believe that all religions lead to the one God. And I wasn't reading my Bible at the time. I was looking into these other religions and I had to ask God to reveal himself to me. God, I'm starting to believe that all these other religions lead to you because that would make it so much easier. Then I wouldn't have to evangelize to them. I'd be off the hook. Everyone goes to heaven. It's awesome. As soon as I started reading my Bible, it's really clear that Jesus is the only way to God the Father. If there were other ways to heaven, what was the point of Jesus choosing to die on the cross? He's the only way. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been questioning whether Jesus was the only way to the Father. I would encourage you to right now pray this prayer, God, reveal yourself to me. And he will. So back to our passage. Peter's name's been changed. It was Simon, now it's Peter. Jesus takes him back to that day when he was called. And I've always wondered, why did the disciples drop everything and follow Jesus? Because at this point, Jesus is just a random guy walking past. Come follow me. They drop everything. Like it's one thing to drop your job, but for a brother to leave his boat behind, that's another thing, eh, guys who like fishing? So I want to take you back to Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, the highest honor was to become a rabbi, a teacher. It was like becoming part of the All Blacks. Every boy dreamed to be part of the All Blacks. But often, and pretty much in every case, the boy would be told, you're not good enough for the team. Go and make a career in the real world. And it was the same for the people of Jesus' day. They wanted to become a rabbi. They wanted to become a teacher. Who here likes reading the book of Leviticus? It's one of those. Over here, we've got a scholar right there, one over here. Leviticus is is quite hard to read, but these boys, by six years old, they had to memorize Leviticus. If they could not memorize Leviticus by six years old, they were told, go and learn your family trade. You're disqualified for ministry. I mean, six-year-olds these days in New Zealand... They can only just memorise the intro to Paw Patrol. And most of them have got a British accent from Peppa Pig. You know it. So these boys, they, they had to 
from a baby here, Leviticus. Mum and dad would be reciting it. And often they didn't have the written scriptures at home, so it would have to go off dad's scriptural knowledge. What's your scriptural knowledge like, men? It could determine the outcome of your child's life. In this case, it did. So if a boy could memorize Leviticus, he got to go to school. This was a school from age 6 to 12, and at this school they had to memorize the rest of the first five books of the Bible. That's called the Torah. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So by age 12, that's, that's down. They've got to have that down pat. If they can't, they're disqualified for ministry. Go home and learn your family trade. By age 12, they take an, an exam. And this exam's not about the content because they've memorized it. This exam's about the questions. Because in Hebrew thought, it's not about the answers. It's about the journey on how they came to the answers. Do you guys remember when Jesus was 12 and his parents lost him for a few days? They found him in the temple. What was he doing? He was wowing the teachers of the law with his questions. So you pass the test. You get to go to the next school. This is discipleship school. It goes from age 12 to 30. Have you guys ever wondered why Jesus started his ministry at age 30? I always wondered what was he up to this whole time. And he comes on the scene at age 30 because he had been studying at the school of disciples. And at this school, they would commit to memory the rest of what we call the Old Testament. They would also study the prophecies of the Messiah because they really wanted to recognize when he comes. They missed it, though, which is unfortunate. It's at the school where they learnt how to bind and loose. Remember in the passage? Binding and loosing. Now, this isn't something here that we use for um, deliverance ministry, even though God's not going to worry about the language you use. This was more about interpreting the Bible, whether you're allowed to do something or you're not allowed to do something. So binding was things that were forbidden, and loosing was things that were permitted. So it's like this. Um, The Bible says you have to rest on the Sabbath day. But what does that mean? Does that mean you can ride your bike? Are you allowed to tie your shoelace? Are you allowed to go fishing, play golf? What does that mean? So the the rabbis would debate it, and it was all written down in books. And whether you were allowed to do something or not was whether it was bound or loosed for you. So every day Joe blogs, he doesn't know what to do, he's got this rule he's not sure about, he goes to his local rabbi and his local rabbi binds or he looses. He tells him he can or he tells him he can't. So in Hebrew thinking, binding and loosing was interpreting the scriptures. Now it's taken Hebrew boys 30 years to get to this point. They've got to pass one more test. They could have been disqualified for ministry at any point during that 12 to 30 period. This last test is whether you become a rabbi with authority or a rabbi without authority. So rabbis without authority, they had to bind and loose. They had to tell you what can be done and what can't be done according to what they've learned in the past from their rabbi. But a rabbi with authority, he can make new interpretations of the scripture. He's allowed to to bind and loose, to permit and forbid, 
according to what he thinks the scripture says because it's seen that he is from God. So how do you become a rabbi with authority? You need two witnesses from God that say you are from God. So at Jesus' baptism, do you remember the heavens opened and the spirit descended upon him like a dove and God said, this is my son whom I love and him I'm well pleased, first witness. And then have a look what John the Baptist says about him at his baptism. It's up on the, is it up on the screen? I'll just find it. John 1.33, I myself did not know him, he's talking about Jesus, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John says this, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Witness number two. So Jesus is now a rabbi who has authority He's gone all the way through the Jewish system of learning, all the way through. He honored it, and he becomes a rabbi that has authority. So the first thing rabbis did is they chose their own disciples. And where's the best place to find a disciple? At the school of disciples. So rabbis would walk around, and and they knew that these guys were the most talented thinkers of their day. They were brilliant. So the question that the rabbi would ask Can these boys do greater things than me? Do I believe that these boys are going to perform greater things than me? Jesus didn't go to this rabbi school to find his disciples. And the two words a rabbi would use to choose a disciple, follow me. Are you getting the picture of that day when the disciples heard Jesus say, follow me? These disciples were disqualified from ministry And that's the very people that Jesus wants to use to build his kingdom. People that have been told, nah, you're disqualified from ministry. Those are the people Jesus loves to use. Do you feel like you're that person this morning? So Jesus has authority to bind and loose, to permit and forbid, to tell you you can do something and tell you you can't do something. So Mark 1.22 says, The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who has authority, not as the teachers of the law. And the teachers of the law, they questioned Jesus. By whose authority are you doing these things? Do you remember? By whose authority are you teaching these things? And Jesus would say to them, do you remember John the Baptist? Was his baptism of God or was it from man? And they couldn't figure it out. They say, if if it's from God, then... Jesus will say, why don't you believe me? And if we say it's from man, these people are going to riot. So Jesus said, well, neither will I tell you whose authority I'm doing these things by. He was clever. He answered their question with a question. He's so clever, clever. So I'm going to put a picture of a yoke up there, the word yoke. So a, a rabbi's set of teachings was called a yoke. And a yoke was a wooden apparatus that was strapped to animals so that they were able to pull a load. And it was seen that the yoke was a rabbi's interpretation of scripture because it was the load, the burden that was placed on people's shoulders. So they were able to pull the the scriptures, the law. 
Let's um, have a read of what Jesus says about the, the yoke that the rabbis lay on people. Because they put rules on top of rules on top of rules, and they made it just about impossible for people to fill, fulfill the law. And Jesus called them out about it. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear, and they lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Jesus is saying that the teachers of the law do so much binding and not enough loosing that living out the law was very difficult. Now let's hear what Jesus says about his yoke, his way of teaching. My yoke, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love that Jesus used the religious system of the day for his purpose. And that gives me huge confidence that he's going to use this church for his purpose. The religious system of our day, Jesus is going to use that for his purpose, and I want to be a part of that. So let's go back to our verses from Matthew chapter 16. We're at verse 19, and I will give you the the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What does that mean? So I don't believe this is saying that whatever the church allows on earth, it's going to be allowed in heaven, because that could be messy, because lots of churches allow lots of different things. If you look closely to the words will be, there's a little, in your Bibles, there's a little icon And it could be translated like this, will have been. So we could read this like this. Whatever whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven already. Or whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed on earth already. Here's another way of putting it. What we we bind on earth as it is in heaven and we loose on earth as it is in heaven. We allow things to happen on earth as it is in heaven, and we disallow things to happen on earth that aren't happening in heaven. Jesus prayed it like this, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what does heaven look like? Revelation 4 tells us that God will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. We need to be a church that alleviates the burdens from people. We need to be a church that allows what heaven allows and forbids what heaven forbids. Back to our passage. Jesus said the gates of Hades will not prevail. Now when we think about a gate, it's a form of defense. Like Lincoln and I locked our gate this morning because we don't want anyone to get in. But if we come home and our gate is lying flat, we would say that our gate has not prevailed. So Jesus is saying here, and he's playing on words, because he's looking at the gate to Hades, but he's also talking about death. He's saying that death will not prevail, and that the church is going to be the one that breaks down the gate. The church is going to be the one that is attacking the gates of Hades. We were not meant to be a church hiding behind closed doors in our little Christian bubbles. Jesus didn't want his followers hiding from evil. 
We're called to storm the gates of hell and take back what the enemy has stolen. We are called to rescue people from the gates of hell with the gospel. We are on the attacking team and we are meant to play the game in the enemy's territory. That's how you win a game, by the highest percentage in the enemy's territory. I'm going to ask the music team to come at this point. So we're back in Caesarea Philippi. It's the enemy's territory, isn't it? There's lots of idol worship. It was like the red light district of the world. And the Jews would not have been seen dead there. But Jesus was different. He takes his youth group there, his young disciples, to this rotten place. What was, the, what was he doing there? What was he thinking? This passage is found in a couple of other places in the New Testament. In Mark's account, we see his disciples are walking. They're walking to Caesarea Philippi. They're walking through. But in Luke's account, they're praying. So what are they doing? Are they walking or are they praying? Walking, praying, walking, praying. I think they're on a prayer walk. I think they've gone to the far north on a prayer walk. So if we want to look at the picture of Caesarea Philippi today, it's slide 12, we'll see that there are no temples left. There is no worship of foreign gods. I don't see any temple prostitutes. I think that Jesus and his disciples were walking and praying. God, let your kingdom come. God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's heaven like? Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor anything that is shameful or deceitful. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In a moment, you're going to see a map come past you and a highlighter. It's the map of Kaitaia. And what I want to encourage you to do is to highlight a street. This is not a one-off prayer for a street. This is a street that you're going to adopt and pray for. Maybe it's your street. Maybe it's the street of someone you know. And whenever you drive or walk down that street, I want you to remember to pray for that street. I want you to remember as you're walking down the street to pray for houses. Let heaven come. I want you to pray for schools. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As you're praying for kids that you see, God, would you save them? Let heaven come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As the map goes around, we're going to stand together and sing, let heaven come. Maybe you're not from Kaitaia and you want to write down your street. There's a place to write down your street. Maybe you want to write down your workplace. There's a place to write down your workplace. So we're going to sing. Let heaven come. I want you to think about your street. Let heaven 